Someone told me I need a browser on my computer. Could you install one, please? You don't have a browser on your computer? What is what is that sound? Is that coming from your laptop? It's not supposed to sound like... What the... What's all that crap? <laughs> How long is that been? I haven't seen that one since the 90s. Oh, Jane, I have to fix this. No, no, leave it. I have it how I like it. How you like it? No, 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 Jen, it's infected. If this was a human being, I'd shoot it in the face. I just want you to install a browser. That's the browser there. Look at it, that's the browser. Internet Explorer is a browser. Behind the picture of the lady. The lady's not supposed to be there. Uh, she's only there sometimes. But what? what's the crap? The, the E? But that's a button for the internet, Roy. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The Fun Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts. So you can always skip ahead or you can find it later. So this episode, we are covering a bunch of updates from a lot of different sectors of the tech world. Yeah, we've got some news from uh, on the institutional and uh, quote-unquote adoption updates, which is kind of interesting. We've also got some updates from the government tech realm. Uh, and we've got a few transport updates as well. And we're going to talk about some advancements in gaming and virtual reality too. So what have you been up to, mate? Uh, yeah, I've been presenting at a couple of workshops and conferences the last couple of weeks. I presented at... A uh, security conference last week, wow. uh, Brisbane's big security conference, mm-hmm. just talking about the AA bill and all the different mm. changes to that. So that was good. I presented at a couple of other things as well. Yeah, just just been doing a lot of co-curriculars and then busy with the, the day job as well. How Jeez. about you? Mate, very busy. Just uh, finished running a work conference. Went really well. Had a bunch of customers go there from our basically organizing a conference for our customers. Yep. Uh, we gave them a good time. Bunch of talks, bunch of networking, learning, um, good times as well. So, yeah, it was cool. We had um, Telstra's head of 5G rollout turn up. Now, Telstra is Australia's telecommunications company. Giant. They're basically, yeah, the the monopoly sort of thing there. They were the government telecom until they right. they, list, they sold them. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, so, yeah, they, their head of 5G rollout was there and talking to these enterprise IT leaders about taking advantage of 5g and what what's in it for them so that was kind of cool yeah um, okay. really interesting i mean there's i mean there's going to be so many applications this, i mean for internet of things stuff um you know having devices on the edge that can mm. actually do things mm. robotics but i'm pretty interested in how that could help you know blockchain stuff and transaction yeah. times and things like that but yeah, yeah. either way and um, that was cool yeah and there was also someone from microsoft azure there as well yeah we had um, their intelligent cloud solutions lead who was there um, right Talking about a few different, like a bunch of different areas on what Microsoft Azure are doing and how businesses could take advantage of that. Um, but yeah, they've they're taking a lot of things very seriously. Um, yeah, it was really cool. And you recovered now, mate? Almost <laughs> straight back into work. Though, so yeah, yeah, no, it's good though. Awesome. So just a little bit of disclosure: this podcast is not investment, legal, or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything all at all on this podcast. And full disclosure, we're 
both personally invested in different shares, funds, and cryptocurrencies, some of which we do talk about on this show. But if we talk about any kind of product or service or program, it doesn't mean you should buy it or sign up for it or let them harvest your organs. So... Do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and avoid the fear of missing your organs. If you're new around here and new to blockchain and cryptocurrency, you can check out our blockchain basic series. It starts from episode two and continues on until episode eight. It will give you good grounding in some of the fundamentals that we talk about on the show and help you understand what on earth we're talking about, help you catch up a bit. All right, let's get in the news. So first of all, we have some adoption, I guess you'd say, and institutional uh, updates. The, the buzzwords are striking back, yeah. indeed. Um, so the first one, Bitcoin has been accepted as a payment option by a major US electronics company. Um, so AVNet, um, they have become the latest big enterprise to begin accepting payment in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. So they announced that they yeah let people pay with Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash um, using BitPay to facilitate the transactions. So... AVNet, they make more than, I think it's like $250 million a year or something mm. in profit. Um, and yeah, one of the biggest tech suppliers in the US. Yeah, they've got um, about 15,000 employees. I think. Yeah, quite big. Mate, insane. So the new payment option is going to be available immediately, according to uh, the company's vice president. And he added that the after when he was talking about this with Bitcoin Magazine, he said that They've already closed several multi-million dollar transactions using cryptocurrency. So it seems like the demand may have come from some of their bigger clients saying, mm. uh, can we pay you in Bitcoin? And instead of saying, no, you can't, they've said, well, it looks like these transactions are going to be very valuable. We might as well investigate this. And I mean, BitPay is pretty easy. You just you sign up for it and you're pretty much on the road. And I don't think their fees are anything more than what Master and Visa Card are charging anyway, or PayPal. So I think that's where they've, they've tried to position themselves as competitively as they possibly mm. can for that. So Cool. And if you're already used to paying the fees, <laughs> you might as well support it. Yeah. Next one, Coin Market Cap. They're launching crypto, well, they've launched crypto indices on NASDAQ, Bloomberg, and other terminals. So, um, yeah, they announced they'd launched two benchmark indices on the NASDAQ Global Index Data Service, the Bloomberg Terminal, which is that famous trading machine that you would have seen in movies and stuff like that, Thomson Reuters um, Icon, and uh, the Boss Stuttgart. Yeah, so we did an episode a few episodes ago where we talked about indices, but if you don't know what they are, you essentially take a whole bunch of different shares or assets or uh, crypto in this instance and you aggregate them. You generally weight the portfolio in a certain way. So you might have the strongest one Mm -hmm. having the most amount in that index. And then, you know, you progressively have less and less as you go down the list. But it's it's a way that a lot of investors can um, get exposure to a number of different products from a country without having to do all the research and invest in a lot of small things. So, I mean, Joe, you've talked about African and uh, Asian <laughs> indices before Indeed, and, yeah. um, and and that's kind of a way to get a broad exposure to the whole Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, asset class. in this one, so they've got two indices and they're, they're actually calculated by a German index provider, Selective. Um, and yeah, what the, the two indices will cover the top 200 currencies, cryptocurrencies by market cap. Um, so the total value of it, one which includes Bitcoin and one without it. So if Bitcoin is, let's say, 40% of all of the market cap of these 
top 200 cryptos, then if you were to, to look at that index, then Bitcoin would be overweighted there, mm. whereas the other one hasn't got it. So it means that there's a lot more space for other sort of assets in there. Yeah. But yeah it's kind of interesting being able to track that in- index. Um, and yeah, they will rebalance that index. So they'll recalculate which of those things should be in there. Yeah. Um, once a quarter, I think. And Last, if you want to look at yeah. if you want to look at something cool, um, somewhere back in the depths of the FOMO show archives, we had our own little index uh, of um, yeah. Joe. Joe put his tax money one year, so he got some uh, stolen funds returned to him in the way by way of a tax refund, and he put that all on crypto to in certain certain percentages and didn't go particularly well to be honest with <laughs> yeah. you uh, one of our listeners um, back in the day James uh, he very kindly put this into a graph um, and yeah it suggests um, you should never follow the advice of the FOMO show not that it was advice <laughs> yeah so what are we sitting at there you, uh, put- so if you'd put $1,700 in you would have had $759 remaining mm, there you go so uh, yeah but on the plus side you have made uh, what, $20 in the last 24 hours? Oh, great, mate. Look at that. <laughs> so you're trending up. Yeah, there's some well-known names in here like um Oh, I made factoids. loads of money off that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that actually paid for my VPN. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Swarm City. I haven't touched. Quantum. Oh. Blackcoin. Quantum Resistant Ledger. Right. Jeez, there's some old names in there, isn't there? <laughs> wow. The Squad. <laughs> uh, Bitcore. Oh, mate, if only I'd actually bought Stellar. Uh, in connection with that, Coinbase, the big Bitcoin exchange, and they let you uh, buy several other cryptocurrencies as well, they're introducing a new space for investing by launching a program that offers institutional investors the option to earn interest on specific cryptocurrencies they hold. So, yeah, um, if uh, for the proof-of-stake cryptocurrencies where you get a return, um, a percentage return by holding your cryptocurrency, basically just keeping it in your wallet and holding it. Um, yeah, they're actually offer, offering um, institutional investors between 5 and 8% interest. Um, and Tezos is the first crypto asset that's going to be start earning interest for these um, institutional investors. Yeah, and those those that interest is paid within the cryptocurrency itself that it's for. But yeah, mm. kind of cool. I feel like I've had this promise of a certain percentage return on uh, cryptocurrency before. Where was that? Be and yeah, anyway, next, um, Facebook's announced five new blockchain jobs at its California HQ. So they were posted on the company's LinkedIn account. They're seeking a growth product manager, product manager, data scientist, software engineer, and a business operations manager to join their blockchain team. So the description of the positions, according to Cointelegraph, also hints at the possible areas in which the firm may implement the technology. So they said, the blockchain team is a startup within Facebook and we're exploring lots of areas of interest across all facets of blockchain technology. Our ultimate goal is to help billions of people to access the things they don't have now. That could be things like healthcare, equitable financial services, or new ways to save or share information. Yeah, so recently the company has opened a position for a senior lawyer with experience in both blockchain and payments. Now, the person will be responsible for drafting and negotiating a wide variety of contracts related to its blockchain initiatives, along with advising clients on the various legal risks related to the tech. Hmm. Yeah, there's 
some people reckon that Facebook's going to run some kind of stable coin or try and do some kind of coin of its own. And there's there's a lot of speculation about that. This CCN article on the side actually said, um, yeah, look, if you think Chainalysis, which is a um, one of the biggest contractors with the IRS on tracking blockchain transactions, if you think their analytical <laughs> tools are scary, imagine what a cryptocurrency built by Facebook might reveal. It knows, for example, that you held the token and then someone else held it and then someone in Iran managed to hold it and la la la, location, this, that and the other. They'd trace it back to you easy. Yeah, and I wonder if it would start suggesting to you people that you should be sending money to and start advertising to you based on your purchasing habits. Facebook is an idealistic and optimistic company. It's perfect, isn't it? Mm. Imagine that, a Facebook card. They would, (laughs) wouldn't they? Oh, yeah. Like, imagine that, like a a metal copy apple gone. The whole idea of Facebook cryptocurrency is just so repulsive. So, next bit of news. um, The $2.46 trillion asset manager Fidelity is apparently packed with hundreds of rabid Bitcoin fans. Yeah, so this is according to Ari Paula, who's a prominent investor in the industry and the co-founder of Block Tower Capital. Um, but yeah, he reckons that he says that Fidelity's cryptocurrency culture is bonkers. Literally hundreds of passionate advocates at every level of seniority in the firm. They have more people working on crypto than the five biggest crypto funds combined. So yeah, they're like Fidelity, we I think we spoke about that maybe four months ago. Yeah, also. yeah. They're actually looking to launch a crypto custodian service in the near term. Yeah, which is a really interesting play because they're looking at storage and like yeah custodian services yeah. which is really important yeah i mean which we we get nervous about because we're like if you if you don't own the keys you don't own the crypto but the reality is like most people don't want to live on the knife's edge of having the chance of losing all their money because if you forgot your password for you know some random website yeah how easy is it it's going to be so easy to lose your crypto stuff yeah. and you want some kind of trust and fidelity yeah. is a very trusted name yeah and look it's in their best interest to keep your money safe because they're running a fund you know people put their money in there to to make more money on it so mm. um but that they're worth a lot of money like 3.4 I, I, I don't, that's not liquid cash obviously mm-hmm. you know because some people say well if they're so big then why haven't they just bought a whole bunch of bitcoin and pumped the price up hugely it's because well a you know they've got risk profiles they've got to work within but also a lot of their assets are probably held up in property and mm. you know long term bonds and all sorts of things so in addition to that the fidelity digital asset head tom jessup he said that 20% of institutions surveyed by fidelity said that they are planning to expand their investments in the crypto market he said they just completed a survey of 450 institutions or thereabout so everything from family offices to registered investment advisors to hedge funds it's interesting i think about 20% indicated that they currently allocate to digital assets with an intention to grow that. Wow. Which sounds pretty out there. Yeah. And prices compared to January January last year, for example, yeah. would seem more reasonable to an investor. Yeah, yeah. And like it's not to say that they're um they're allocating a huge amount to it, but mm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 essentially a high-risk, potentially high-reward asset. So, if they've got a certain amount of risk tolerance, they could definitely allocate a percentage to it. Just even 0.5%. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I wonder what effect that's going to have, too, on liquidity as more and more of these funds and... Just buy and hold. So yeah. available. It's a good thing it's fungible, I guess. So yeah, like- yeah, it's true. Because, yeah, that's the thing with... I was reading this the other day. It was about the difference between Bitcoin, uh, for example, and um, current, like, cash. 
if you go to a petrol station and you wanted to buy a can of soft drink with a note that had previously been used by a drug dealer, yeah. they're never going to know. Yeah. But if yeah. you go and use cryptocurrency that's previously been used by a drug dealer, yeah. they are going to know. So it almost blacklists the, the supply in some ways, which I thought was kind of random. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's traceability to an extent, I guess. But, but I mean, that's, that's a definite possibility. You know, the more of these funds and things snap this stuff up, I mean, most of them don't trade very much on these like long-term hold assets. There may be less and less Bitcoin going around. Which means the numbers per transaction, they're going to be more zeros at the beginning. Yep. It's very difficult because it's very easy to make a mistake because once you're talking mm. about seven or eight zeros that you're going to need. Yeah. Well, I suspect it's going to be the reverse of... Because we're so used to inflationary currencies. We're used to things getting more expensive over time. And so we take, for example, Australia used to have one cent and two cent coins. Like, yeah. I can't remember yeah. when we used to have them. We took them out of circulation because no one was using them anymore. They just they weren't relevant because the currency had inflated to such an extent. <laughs> but it may be a similar thing with a deflationary currency in that you may need to... We may start talking less about Bitcoin and more about Satoshis, yeah, for example. Yeah, that does make you sense. Know? Yeah, and I know in lightning terms that they what can... What is a Satoshi? One hundred millionth of nice. a single Bitcoin. Simple. 100 million. So next bit of news, the famous Dolder Hotel in Switzerland is now accepting Bitcoin as well. Yeah, so yeah, that was just a thing that was reported by a Swiss news outlet, FinNews. Um, but yeah, it's located in the Swiss financial hub of Zurich. While um, similarly, a uh, auto company called Kessel, I think they sell cars or something. Yeah, they're also going to be accepting crypto payments as well. So yeah. Yeah, well, Switzerland is... Well known as kind of leading the charge on a lot of this stuff, and it's just it's cool to see more and more of these bigger institutions starting to support Bitcoin. Mm. And it's weird; it seems like a lot of them are targeted more towards high net worth individuals, mm. doesn't it? And you wonder if maybe a few of these high net worth individuals just put a very small amount in years back, yep. kept it somewhere, and now it's worth a huge amount of money. Yeah. And they don't want to transact in anything other than Bitcoin. You know, and if you've got someone coming to you and saying, I want to spend $2 million on your car, yeah, but I'm only going to pay in Bitcoin, your answer is not, no, nah, sorry, we only take Amex. Yeah, it's, no, yeah. <laughs> it's, you if call- someone wants to spend a lot of money with you, it's only if you're not a higher net worth person when that's that's like a, yeah. Yeah. Because when you go into a shop and you're like, do you accept Amex? And they're like, Mm, no, yeah, you can't really do anything. You don't that. have much leverage there, do you? I saw this video that yeah. was within that article page. It's just embedded. Yeah, just um, some company filled out the airport, and I don't know if it's Zurich or where, but they just put a bunch of these like really cool signs up all around saying investments in storage in Bitcoin Switzerland, financial services for crypto assets. Like cool. they're really showing how progressive they are. Yeah, um, yeah. It just it seems like at the institutional level and like. We talk about institutional adoption a lot, but mm. it seems like more and more people at that level are starting to believe the crypto dream, I guess you'd say. And I wonder how much that's related to the fact that a lot of the people who are now stepping into leadership positions in these companies are from a bit of a younger generation mm. and maybe a little mm. bit more friendly to this kind of stuff. Mm. And they're really pushing for you know, some progressive adoption of a lot of these things. I think I think that's right, and I think that's only going to happen more because, I mean, you're starting to see more and more CTOs yeah. of actual big companies, not like little startups, but as in yeah. from bigger companies. Yeah, and I was, I was talking to someone else about this recently. They were saying, oh, well, 
yeah, but how much adoption are you actually going to get with Bitcoin? You know, like, and I said, well, it, it was probably a similar thing. What well, was a similar thing with credit cards back in the day? You know, like credit cards have been around since the 60s. But back then, only the most progressive people used credit cards. Right, so yeah. many people still use checkbooks and, yeah. and, you know, other wire transfers and all that bank, bank notes and whatever else. And you know, there was a bunch of other things that used to be around. Um, now, we've got very, very widespread adoption of credit cards. But the people that are coming through the like school age now, for example, do you think they're going to be rushing out to get bank accounts when in, you know, five to 10 years time, they hit maturity or is it more likely that they'll try and find a way to have a crypto wallet? Hmm. If like, if, if the infrastructure is there enough that they can start getting paid in it and it's digital money and it's internet native. Yeah. Um, I suspect that they'll be a lot more friendly to it than even we are. Yeah. And it'll just seem natural to them. Yeah. And they'll look at us with our credit cards and it'll be like us looking at people still getting checks. I'll laugh at you for being checking, making sure the address is fine and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, carrying essentially a, your payment method in clear text around in your pocket and giving it over to anyone in clear text, you know. That's one thing we don't talk about with credit cards and that's, We'll touch on the Apple Pay yeah. card in a second, but you really your payment method is literally written on your card, and anyone that has those numbers can debit to it. It's so insecure. That's such a good point. Yeah, you're not it's signing like anything. All the numbers are there. Yeah, and the number of people who are like, "Oh, just put your credit card numbers in on our website so that you can use our service." It's the only way to book our service. Yeah, and it's just a regular web form that submits to them your credit card details. Yeah. And that's it. That's all you need. That's all, that's like insane. it's not like you like with because with crypto you've got to sign it. You know you've always got to sign your transaction yeah, yeah. to say yes, this is me. And by you signing it, they don't get your signature. Like they don't get the they don't get the ability to then sign transactions on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, you keep that, and the blockchain knows that you've signed it, but doesn't actually get that password disclosed. Mm. So it's a lot more secure than using a credit card. Just just food for thought. There have been a couple of random uh, government developments in blockchain as well. So firstly, there was a government meeting in the UK. It was more of a a showcase that was presented to the UK Parliament of um, real-world blockchain applications. So it was organised by the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Blockchain. Yeah, the event featured live presentations from four firms working in the blockchain industry, IOTA, Oracle, Everledger and Lloyds of London. So amongst the audience were members of parliament, government officials, and industry leaders. And the live demonstrations highlighted the potential of, and this is this is quoting verbatim, the potential of blockchain in real-life applications in supply chains for olive oil, diamonds, international trade, and insurance claims. Australia has also been getting into blockchain too. Um, the federal government have said they're going to develop a national blockchain roadmap, uh, whatever that means, and kick in a further $100,000 for study. And um, this is kind of, this is a bit of a trend with our government anyway, but uh, it's even funnier because the, uh, another arm, uh, the Digital Transformation Agency, has recently said the technology is at the top of a hype cycle. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been quite sceptical about putting any more money into it really at all. And the um, Chief Digital Officer, Peter Alexander, has actually told the sentiment estimates hearing in October last year that for every use of blockchain that you would consider today, there's a better technology. Which is not a... Not a bad point. No. <laughs> um, and yeah, he said it was the top of a hype cycle where it's what, the peak of inflated expectations yeah. where everyone believes that, you know, it can solve all these problems. But there are a bunch of 
useful use cases, yep. especially, and I, I think it needs to come down to like trust mm. in what's going on. So ratings of things, for example, could be done really well through that. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, you see the whole voting side of things or things where you actually need to be pretty, you want to be pretty sure of the validity of the information that you're looking at. Yeah, I, I think the application of the technology is limited more by the network and the adoption rates at the mm-hmm. moment. It's, it's kind of like, I mean, we talk about the internet a fair bit, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good parallel in some ways. I mean, you look at, we could network computers together for a long time before the internet, but it was really adoption that drove the utility. Like without many, many, many people using the internet, social media wouldn't have become a thing. Mm-hmm. For example, you, you had to have people on the platform first before you could derive the utility from the platform. Mm-hmm. And I think the the issue with the blockchain side and what I think some of these comments are about is that the tech guys and the tech community and a lot of these startups have looked at where things could be in the future, but they've kind of made it sound like we're already there. Yeah, you know? that like, does, yeah. Yeah, whereas the, 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 the network, there's not enough adoption on the base network yet to do all the things that they say we could one yeah, day do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you almost first need this before that can happen. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And so it's not that blockchain technology or what may become the, the dominant quote-unquote blockchain platform, it doesn't have incredible theoretical possibility and potential and doesn't already can't already do some things really well. It's just that so much of that depends on actually having the users on the platform mm. in the first place mm. to be able to do it. Let's order a chicken and an egg at the same time from <laughs> the same online shop. <laughs> See which arrives first. <laughs> yeah. let's just fo- I mean, let's just focus on getting all these merchants accepting crypto first. Because once they do that, then you've, you've already got a bunch of people using the network. So Next one, there have been a couple of big updates from Apple. And we're going to start with the first one, which... I posted an image of this into the Telegram group, FOMO Show Telegram group, uh, probably a week ago, just after the Apple special event that they like to call it. It's a very special event that they run every year with all their special updates for their uh, special products. And this special update special for the people. special products for special people uh, came with a very special announcement. Um, and this is a new credit card that is coming out in mid-2019, and it's beautiful. Mm. So it's both... A but available within Apple Pay, which is the payment sort of wallet sort of thing that's within Apple. So you can stick your Qantas cards on there and your loyalty cards on there and you can stick your credit cards on there and then you can use your NFC tap and pay sort of stuff yep. from there. Um, but there's also, for shops that don't necessarily accept Apple Pay at the moment, they've paired up with MasterCard, I believe, um, for this titanium card which just has an Apple logo, your name, and the little chip on it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, they've called it uh, – there's a there's a video that actually uh, – their intro video to it, but they call it a new kind of credit card, simple, transparent, private. Rewards are built in, so you get cash back. There's no points. Um, no more how do I redeem this again. <laughs> a credit card that encourages you to pay less interest, they say, and it doesn't even charge any fees. Yeah, so VentureBeat have, have covered this, and they've said the Apple card will – be accepted by vendors who participate in MasterCard's network and the banking side is backed by Goldman Sachs. Now, when I saw this, I I kind of... They're saying it'll be private and transparent and simple. Um, And so, initially, I thought Apple must be doing all the mechanisms behind this Mm -hmm, and and backing it themselves. But 
Uh, it is backed by back Goldman Sachs, who back a lot of other American credit cards already. Right. So, I guess the question is, is it really that private? Is it really that much different? Well, uh, going into that, Apple maintained that its customers are not the product with its services, which is to say it doesn't harvest or sell their personal information to profit off their data, which I find very unlikely. Anyway. <laughs> you, um, you can trust us. Yeah, well, with them, they can facilitate their transactions that have similar end-to-end encryption and privacy as other communications through its servers, which I already don't trust. Mm. Additionally, it says that Goldman will not share transaction details with third parties. But yeah, there are no late fees, no membership fees, no yeah. international fees. Um, they promise unspecified but lower interest rates than competitors. It's going to be digital and connected to an iPhone, but there's that physical card as well. And yeah, as, as I say, every spend you make has 2% cash back. So... I mean, it seems like a good deal. Yeah. The 2% cash back alone seems like a good deal. Yeah, and it comes in instantly. Mm. Um, they'll track your transactions and actually put them on a map. So what they've done here, from what I've seen, or I'm looking at, they're making it, firstly, they're making it beautiful. When you drop that card on a counter, yep. every, people will look. Yep. You will be that sort of icon that Apple want to make their users one of those. They yep. want you to stand out. So people are going to get it because it's like the wow factor. Yeah. Now you get less cash back if you use that digital card. It's like one percent cash back instead right, of two. Right. Okay. But you look like a big deal. Yeah. And that's huge for marketing. Yeah. But also lower interest rates, making the user experience good. That you're going to actually see some credit card companies quaking in their boots when someone's actually made sexy cards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Amex are going to have to move beyond their platinum yeah. card, which is made out of plastic. Yeah. Yep. And it, it, at the very least, it will force, like tech companies do all the time, it will force these bigger incumbents to change what they're doing and change their model. And it'll be a net gain for the consumer. Absolutely. In any ways. How do you put in your credit card numbers, though? If there's no numbers written on the card. I mean, it comes at an interesting time because um, they're saying that they want people to be pay less interest and not have to be so bad with their money. But so, yeah, there's a little side note on debt here. 70% of consumers with credit cards say they can't pay it off this year. Now, if you look at this graph, um, it shows in 2007 where um, credit card debt peaked. And you can see it's at a similar sort of level again. Mm. But, um, yeah, there was a nice little sort of curve downwards, uh, sort of a concave. After the GFC. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's of, a new yeah. record now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, look at that. Household credit card debt. And in the, in the article, it says more troubling than just looking at the, the record level of debt is that um, 37 million Americans, this is American data, um, they've had a 90-day delinquent strike added to their credit report last quarter, an increase of 2 million from the fourth quarter of 2017. So that's... And what's that an increase of? That's about that's nearly two thousand percent increase of people having ninety day unpaid strikes against their credit report than what's that a year ago? So yeah, they they held a huge amount of debt. But anyway, um, aside from that slightly weird thing, twenty eight percent of respondents say they're fully dependent on credit cards to pay rent and utilities. And when they were asked, you know, how long do you reckon it'll take to pay it off? You've got you know, maybe 5% of people are saying four to five years mm. until they can pay off their credit card debt. Wow. Um, two to three years is something like, what, is that 18% there? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because I think a lot of this is that people are getting so used to now deferring their 
payments of things for a month on that mm-hmm. credit card mm-hmm. cycle. Yeah. You know, it does, it allows, what credit cards allow people to do is to almost stay a month ahead, like yeah. ca- have a catch-up month where they're, they're paying last month's bills this month mm. and next month's bills the month and after. It just perpetually and, stacks up just a little bit at yeah. a time. And it seems manageable until something happens. Yeah. But there is some good news. A uh, full 62% of millennials, defined here as 18 to 34, they say that they pay off their balance every month, 62% of millennials. Mm. That's compared to just 48% of those aged 35 and up. Probably because half of them are still living with their parents, yeah. let's be <laughs> honest. Not paying rent and all that yeah, kind of that actually makes yeah. it... Oh, yeah. Didn't realise that until now. Yeah. Just think of it like you've never seen this many people live with their parents at such a young age. No, well, it's Not just, that there's anything wrong with that. Well, it's, oh, it's just because it's so expensive to move out. I mean, if I, if I could live with my parents Mate, I still, would. It's, yeah. Uh, imagine just... In line with that, Apple have also announced a new Sesame Street themed TV show that will actually teach kids how to code. Their new Sesame Street themed show was introduced on stage at Apple's press event by none other than Big Bird himself. The Sesame Workshop produced show is one of the new arrivals to Apple TV Plus which is the company's just-announced streaming TV service and Netflix rivals. So the show will have, quote-unquote, cool music and, quote-unquote, funky dance moves. Yeah, and they've said by teaching preschools about coding, we're giving them the opportunity to change the world. And that's not really silly because the vast majority of new jobs that are coming out are generally in the tech industry. A lot of them are coding jobs, and it almost is like... It's almost going to be like the second language of the future. If you know how to code, you'll be able to do things with computers that no one else can. And when everything's running on computers, that makes you valuable. Does it also mean that if we're getting more people getting into coding young, then it means that the salaries for programmers are going to go down? Yeah, it may do. Um, I know, so I remember when I was at university, a lot of people were being told to do law. And basically, right. if you if you were doing well in the humanities subjects, you were told to do law. That was like your thing. So, my uh, initial class in my first year was huge, like it, it, incredible. I think uh, every year there were ten thousand law graduates in a profession of seventy thousand lawyers for Australia. Sheesh. You know, so that's in seven years you would you could replace the entire workforce with new grads. So obviously. Demand for jobs is huge and mm. there just wasn't enough to go around. But lawyers weren't putting on legal jobs at the same rate that companies are putting on software development and programming good, jobs. Yeah, you make a great point. Um, so there's yeah, a massive like, undersupply. Yeah. 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 And, it's, and there's no indication that that's going to slow down, you know, because it's, just, it's touching every industry. Because if you want to do nearly anything now, you need to have a program. You mm. need to have some form of generally something on the internet. You mm-hmm. need to have some form of program to manage it some code a server to put it on i know because it's weird because we've had the workforce shift from everyone who's just in agriculture not yep what like not before the second world war or first world war times you had like a massive percent of the population were just in agriculture yeah anyway mechanization yeah. brilliant yeah um i guess it's you could just view it as a number form mechanization hey anyway so Apple are going to teach kids to code, which I actually reckon is really cool. It's and great. On them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd been taught to code by Sesame Street when oh, I was young. Could you imagine? I wish I listened to my dad when he was like, yeah, you should think about this. He just yeah. never pressured me. He was always yeah. like, just do what you want to do. It's like, <laughs> make me want to do coding. <laughs> make me. <laughs> but it wasn't cool either at school, you know, like 
Now I'm wanted to be coding. We need to work out how you actually... Like, it's a bit of propaganda is involved in this. Yeah. Like, they've started to do that. They've made TV heroes for kids, like, more of those little science nerds. Yeah. Where back in the day, that was not cool. Yeah. yeah. But then you had, like, what, Jimmy Neutron or whatever all yeah, this yeah, stuff yeah, is. Yeah. Whiz kid. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I have no idea. But, yeah, yeah, like, it's starting to be the more nerdy person. So, it almost needs to be more propaganda towards children that shows that learning to code is actually dope and worth yeah. being cool in the playground about. Well, as soon as my kids are able to basically type at a computer, I'm going to teach them to code. And I guarantee you they'll probably know more about it than me in two or three years. That's the aim of it. That's good. Yeah. Good. But that's, I think it is It is such an essential skill. for the. I don't think there's any more essential skill for the future than knowing how to code because knowing how to code opens up so many possibilities to you already, but imagine the kind of possibilities it's going to open up in 20 years when everything's connected and we're living half our lives in VR or whatever. I'm going to buy you an Apple TV Plus. <laughs> I do not want an Apple TV Plus. <laughs> Some interesting news came out of Google. Stadia is Google's new gaming service, which is powered by Linux and open source tech. So uh, Matt I is getting very excited in the studio already and I have only said Linux once. I've never installed GNU slash Linux. Um, Stadia, which is a... For, by the way, if you're a new listener, Matt loves Linux um, <laughs> because it's great. Um, anyway, Stadia and is... If a you pl- don't know what Linux is, just stick around for a bit. You'll find out about it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a brand new game streaming service from Google. Yes, yeah, so this has been rumoured for a long time. And at GDC this year, they finally Google finally unveiled this cloud service. And it is really exciting. And if you were around the gaming world, I think it was about 10 or more years ago, there was this service called OnLive mm-hmm. that came out and everyone thought it was going to be the next big thing. And they were essentially saying that, why would you need a computer in your room when you can connect to a server and we can stream games to your laptop or your desktop mm-hmm. or whatever? Mm-hmm. And that's what they were going to do. They were going to, and so they were, I think they were going to make a console as well that streamed games to it. And there were all these different things. And then they faded off into obscurity and went bankrupt because... The infrastructure just wasn't there. The in- mm-hmm. the internet speeds weren't great. Uh, there was a lot of latency issues, and the server architecture just wasn't up to it either. PlayStation even did something similar called the PlayStation Now, um, mm. which is based off on Live. But yeah, so Google's they are one of the biggest cloud um, cloud what do you call it cloud computing platforms yeah. out there. Yep. And um, so there's no console for Stadia. There's no box you buy and hook up to your TV. Instead, they stream from a data center to you via the internet. Yeah, so games can be streamed up to 4K at 60 FPS, depending on your connection, of course. And they'll have a custom controller, and that's what you buy. You buy the custom controller. I think it's rumored to be around $250 at the moment for this controller, and that'll have all the streaming architecture in it, built-in Wi-Fi, microphone, plus... A Google Assistant integration as well. So they're going to have Google Assistant integrated directly into this service. So it will be watching you as you game and make Listening all these different decisions. Um, wow, that's such a good point. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah, imagine. Well, that's I mean, terrifying. That's, yeah, well, that's one of the, the, one of the big concerns is that, I mean, you make some pretty difficult moral decisions in a lot of games, especially if you've ever played some of these single-player games that come out. There's some pretty weird technical decisions that get thrown at you that are very morally grey. And, uh, yeah, Assistant will be along for the ride. 
That'll all be tied to your real, uh, real world identification. You are so dark. <laughs> but it's no, you you made such a good point. Yeah. Because the thing is, like, if you're getting thousands of people doing a virtual fly, like a flying simulator. Yeah. You bring out a flying simulator and it's like, oh, loads of people are flying these things around. Yeah. Like, we'll put in different wind conditions and other variables and then you'll just be flying around having fun, paying for the experience, no doubt. Yeah. And then to find that you're actually teaching drones how to fly. Yeah. Because everything is going back to the data center with this. So, it's, it's awesome in a sense that it's probably going to make games a lot more accessible yes. for people. Um, I don't know if it's going to be able to solve the latency issue for competitive games mm-hmm. and first-person games and things like that. I think that will always need, at least for the next 10, 20 years. Well, 5G. Well, the, I mean, you, you might be right, but it still has to go. There's still an extra hop. You know, you still the, the, the data still has to come to you. Yeah. Then you've got to make the input. Then it's got to go back to the server. Um, and then it's got to go back out to whoever else you're playing against. So, so there's like probably a lot hop. of this like edge computing stuff. So yeah. It's going to have to be more about the local data centers and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's insurmountable because they said the same thing about online gaming in general 20 years ago. Back when we were on dial-up, they said, it'll never happen. Like, what are you, crazy? Like online games over dial-up? That's never going to work. And I mean, look at it now. We've got huge esports. So... I don't think it's yeah. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. But the very least, I mean, you could be anywhere in the world, and all you would have to pay is this Google subscription, and you get access to a huge library of games. Mm. Uh, all the assets would be downloaded on the fly to your computer. See, that would be great because yep. I mean, right now we did this episode a few weeks ago about Star Citizen. Yep, virtual space game, great. Check out the episode, but. My computer dies in a heap of misery when I play that game. Mm. So being able to just use Google's streaming power, yep. you know, I'd be happy for them to listen to me while I do it, as long as I get some <laughs> get to play the game smoothly. Yeah, because all you'd probably need is a web browser. Yeah. Now, that, that's about it. You'd probably only just need a web browser. Um, so yeah. it's 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 great. I mean, the really interesting thing for me, of course, and this is my obligatory Linux uh, pump is that the entire platform is going to run on Linux and Vulkan, which are Linux is an open source operating system. Vulkan is an open source video driver. So right. um, up until now, most game developers have developed just for Windows. Mm-hmm. Some develop for Mac and Linux, but generally we've got to use like compatibility layers to get to it. Um, Linux is at a point now where you can play nearly any game through this compatibility layer and it works great. Sometimes it even works better but yeah google deciding to move to linux um not only says how awesome the operating system is and you know that you should check it out but it also says that game developers are going to now have to start considering developing not just for windows they're going to have to start considering developing for linux and using vulcan technology Mm, and mm. and that may be the beginning of windows loss of its grasp on the general gaming world because at the moment the only reason a lot of people use windows is just because that's what they're used to but also that's where all their games are it's very hard to game anywhere else Mm. um if you're not gaming on windows because it's just so easy on windows but yeah it sounds like um google are moving away from that and they're going to go with something open source which i think will probably mean good things for the open source community Mm. as well because they're probably going to be doing a lot of development around that so yeah, Stadia is uh, apparently going to launch this year in the US, Canada, UK, and most of Europe. And we'll see it in Australia in probably 15 years from now when the <laughs> internet 
he goes above dial-up speed. Yep. Next really cool piece, Twitch, the streaming giant. They debuted Squad Stream to put four streamers in one screen. And this is really cool because if you've ever watched, um, as I'm sure many of our dear listeners do, streaming game streamers live... You'll usually just watch one player at a time and you'll hear them chatting to their mates as they're playing in these multiplayer games. But this is adding a whole new dimension by actually being able to see multiple people in the squad at once. Yep. So you can see all their sort of games and switching between them. Yeah, and I, I actually tested this out the day it came out. Wow. Um, so because uh, it only debuted a few days ago and I've, I've been playing quite a bit of a game called Apex Legends recently. Yeah. And uh, Shroud is the big streamer. In that area, and he's just the one I generally just turn on to watch because he's very good, XCS player. Um, but he generally plays with two other people, and you'll hear them, you'll see yeah. them on your screen. You feel like you know them. You, you well. kind of feel like you know them. You hear their voice all the time. But this squad stream, you literally so you click on one streamer, and then up the top it says, "These this streamer is squad streaming with a couple of other streamers." And you click on squad stream and it brings up like a multi, big multi window screen and you can see each viewpoint and then you can also maximize the one you want to maximize if you want, make it bigger and the other ones are smaller down the bottom. But it syncs all the sound up, you know, like it's 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 wow. really cool. That's dope. Because I mean, a few, of our, a few of our mates will jump on at once and it's, there's something quite to be said for being able to be with a bunch of other people when you're doing it. So actually seeing multiple streamers, you probably find new people to follow yeah you have a great time because you're enjoying watching people interact with each other it adds a more of a depth to what you're seeing so yeah streaming's come so far and it's it'd be crazy to see where it goes next yeah i mean especially when we move into vr sort of stuff and well speaking of vr um microsoft is making some giant steps in their vr technology yeah so there was a little interesting piece that was talking about some of the research that they were doing to actually reduce the the sickness that people feel when they're putting these virtual reality headsets on because it's still very early days with vr but Mm. making a huge amount of progress so yeah check that out so microsoft hololens um they've got a version two is that's coming out soon isn't it yeah yeah so it's it's in beta i think or alpha or beta and and it'll be in full production mode this year. But HoloLens is their augmented reality slash virtual reality headset. I know a lot of businesses are already using their first one Wow! to do a number of different things. And they've got some commercial applications for them, but mm-hmm. I think they've been focusing a lot more on businesses up until now. Mm-hmm. But uh, they just recently announced the launch of this second one and did some demos. And we just watched a video of uh, some it of the demos It looks incredible. Well. Yeah. The things that people are doing, you can... Um I mean, there have been a few advancements. I mean, you could have your browser tab windows open. You can move them around in 3D space near where you are. Yep. You could bring up, you know, 3D models in around you. They've got, like, uh, technology to have different people attend your virtual reality workspace as kind of like holograms. Yeah. They'll see you as holograms. So I could basically hologram. Skype call you, yep. but then... To you, it's like I'm in the room with you, my yep. little avatar's there. Yeah, and we can whack up a virtual whiteboard and work on a bunch of stuff and stand side by side and look at the whiteboard and chat to each other, mm. just like we'd be chatting in real life, but you could be halfway around the world. So maybe we could record the podcast and uh, 
virtual reality <laughs> soon. Yeah, we, it's a possibility. I mean, it, it looks incredible. We'll put the video in the show notes. But mm. um, check it, check the video out if you want to see something amazing. We'll stick it out in our Telegram as well. Um, it looks incredible. Yeah, yeah. Microsoft is going a huge distance here. I mean, what you were saying about the spatial awareness stuff with yeah. being able to press a piano key and actually just get the keys you want. Yeah, the, that was what was amazing. She like it, it, your brain works that out on its own too. Like it was it was real enough that the brain knew to stop pressing at a certain point, even though there was nothing really there. Mm. She just she could see the piano and she was pressing the keys and she'd just stop where you'd you'd normally stop on mm. the piano and it all it it seems like what Microsoft have said is that okay, we missed the mobile stuff. That yeah. didn't work for us, we've missed it. But what we can do is make sure that when this next technological quote-unquote revolution comes around and everyone moves to AR and VR, that we are at the forefront of that. They very clearly put a huge amount of work into this. I mean, for example, they just open up a hand gesture in front of them, which was their, you know, run a web search sort of command, and then search jellyfish pictures, and it just showed, it just suddenly in front of them popped up a massive mosaic of all these jellyfish pictures, and you could just pluck individual ones and stick them on your whiteboard or what it was super impressive the things that they're trying to do with it yeah so yeah everyone else is going to be playing catch up you know that google's competing for this space as well like well well, just i mean just from a workspace perspective like we're sitting here in front of a bunch of different monitor screens and you're constrained by the limits of those monitor screens if you're anything like me you know the feeling of not having enough space like you've never got enough space on your monitors Mm -hmm. to do what you need to do but being able to just whack on some vr or ar goggles and have it all come up in front of you and have basically a huge space where you can work and and that they demonstrated the some of these applications can follow you around as you walk you know so if you and if you open an application in the vr thing you can have them persist into that application so if you need to reference things while you're doing something else it's all Mm. still there for you Mm. and yeah, it was it was amazing just to watch, and I think from my mind that's the future of desk work. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's the way that in the not too distant future, companies won't buy monitors, companies won't buy a lot of this other stuff. They'll just say, "Here's your headset, work from home. Mm. You can be in our virtual corporate office." Yeah, if you want a good laugh, uh, check out this video that um, from Reddit. It's from programming. It's a video showing a so it's like a humanoid sort of mannequin with a um, just showing the development of it trying to learn to walk. Um, you could uh, so it had an artificial intelligent agent that was just keeping on going, keeping on going up until it could actually walk better and better. Like you know, trial and error, lots of stumbles and falling, lots of weird angles and. Um, he was basically instructed to move forward through a, an unknown course and it mm. just learned as it went. Yeah. So without being programmed to run, jump or climb, it was running, jumping and climbing. And Yeah, and some of them even developed like different bodies to tackle the problems, Yeah, which is kind of weird and a little bit disturbing watching them decide, okay, well, maybe this body isn't the best for what we're trying to do. So let's Oh, yeah, it was the style that it developed with the, yeah. Yeah, but it's a great little, great little video. I'd, I'd recommend just watching it. It's only about a minute long, but um, yeah. it's fun and fascinating at the same time. A bit of light-hearted robotics news for you. So uh, the Boston Dynamic, um, uh, Boston Dynamics, the robot robot company f- uh, funded by DARPA, they are set to put millions more out of work with a rare a warehouse robot. Um, yeah, yeah. In this video, I don't know what it is about Boston Dynamics, but all of their robots 
just give you the creeps. Like you can't watch them and not be a little bit creeped out. And this one's no different because it just it just doesn't really look like anything else you've ever seen. It's it's kind of got this big arm, and then when it moves around, it's got this counterbalance weight mm-hmm. that moves underneath it, and it's designed for picking up really heavy objects. So it's re- an ostrich, basically. Yeah, and it, it, it's two legs, two wheels. Sorry, and it just kind of rocks around on these yeah. two wheels and shifts itself around. And like, oh, what's it like? That um, like a Segway. Yes, it's like a robotic Segway. Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly the feeling you get by watching it. So the same way that people look really unnatural riding on Segways, mm-hmm. this robot gives you similar kind of feelings. So it's, yeah, it uses suction, picks up boxes, and um, unlike regular people, it can actually work around the clock. It can't go on strike. Um, it get does injured. what it's told. There's no union. Mm. Um, if it does get injured, they just. Chuck it out again. Yeah. Yeah. So they can actually squeeze into really small spaces with that. And yeah, the suction part, so that it's very scary. Yeah. But one of the commenters on Reddit, I think it was, or noted that you're actually requiring that they have pretty equal looking boxes, um, Mm. equal sided boxes. Even then, there's a number of little suction cups, but. And I'm sure they'll develop that too. Like it will get better and better. So yeah, you can see Amazon, you can see FedEx. There's a lot of demand for this stuff because people, you know, they clearly want to put people out of jobs. And it's awesome. It's really impressive. And they're stacking them really really neatly as well. Yeah, and they've got little QR codes that they scan to know which boxes they've got to put where. So if you want to see the uh, the end of the lovely hardworking job of working in a warehouse very hard and sweaty all day, well, um, it's nice to know that they want to put you out of a job too. I thought you liked technology. I love technology, but at the same time, <laughs> the thing is I, I completely love this. It makes so much sense. I mean, if yeah. you're a business owner, it makes so much sense. And well, think of all the people that get injured doing this stuff as well. That's so, true. You know, people like, put out their backs yeah. after like this, doing half it, it of It says that. they're doing heavy boxes. So, mm. yeah. To be fair, it's very impressive and it means that, you know, maybe some people don't really want to be moving boxes all day. And it's not good for your back. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a good and a bad. There is a good and a bad. But it looks really cool. It does. And scary. Mate, we've got a few transport updates. Um, first up, Daimler, um, the Mercedes owner, acquires a majority stake in Torque Robotics, who are a self-driving vehicle company. Yeah, well, I wonder if this is to compete with the Volvo self-driving yeah, trucks, which we yeah. covered recently, which are they're trolling them in ports to essentially help ship everything around the ports that requires a lot yeah. of starting and stopping. And a few different things. interesting companies there. I mean, yeah. you've got what, Uber had Waymo or something, or maybe a Google owns Waymo. I think Google's Waymo. Google's Waymo. Yeah. And then you got... Uber have something else. Yeah. Uber just got a bunch of investment from someone too, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, SoftBank, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah so that's right. So yeah. After their self-driving, yeah. Yeah. You, um, yeah. you got Tesla with their semi-autonomous truck. Yep. Which is going to be fully autonomous with a few software updates. It's like, nah, no worries. Yep. Just a bit of competition. It's, it's all looking crazy. Yeah, it is. I it's mean, that's another sector where you're probably going to see a lot of job losses as these autonomous trucks pick up. We should call this the firing show. <laughs> we talk about who's getting fired this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, next transport update. Chinese electric buses are making the biggest dent in worldwide oil demand. So electric vehicles have displaced about 3% of total oil consumption growth since 2011, so a larger share than ever before. The report estimates for every... 1,000 electric buses on the road, 500 barrels of diesel are displaced every day. So most of this is occurring in China. Uh, The report last year found that 
of about 385,000 electric buses in the world in 2017, about 99% of them were in China, uh, with rapid growth still taking place. The city of Shenzhen alone announced 2017 uh, that it had completely electrified its fleet of 16,000 buses. Because they saw the smog and figured they'd do something about it. Yeah, and I wonder if this is the... It's hard to call it a benefit, but it probably is a benefit. I wonder if this is the benefit of having a totalitarian regime where the state endorses the companies and not the other way around because you can go back through the research from the 40s and the 50s and look at the fact that there was a lot of moves back then to make all the buses and trams electric, Mm. and a lot of them were. Um, Oh, there's a documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And and I think um, James Corbett did a documentary on big oil as well. And that looked into the fact that, yeah, everything was trending towards electric vehicles um cities had electrified most of their public transport and then the big oil companies came in and paid a lot of money to the governments to shift all that away and move to you know diesel and petrol powered buses and public transport Ta-da. so it makes sense that china would say well yeah we don't want to have smog everywhere and be running all this petrol so let's electrify so if i were them next steps would be so buses and then you want the um, garbage trucks and you want yep. taxis. The vehicles that are most on the road that use a lot of stop starts. Yep. Stick them over to electric and that will make a massive dent in oil. In oil. This one, next one is really, really yeah. cool. So this is uh, another bit of news out of China. Um, China's C919 is, a, uh, is an aircraft and it's actually posing a major threat to Boeing's dominance of the aircraft market. So, yeah, the sales of jetliners are pretty important because they play into the bigger picture of world trade and trade imbalances, according to Seeking Alpha, which is a great little news site for uh, investment stuff. Um, yeah, so in China is a massive battleground for both Boeing and Airbus. Because of the sheer size of its market, China's air travel market is expected to surpass the United States by 2024, according to the International Air Travel Association, which estimates that 927 million people will travel to or from China in 2025, compared to 904 passengers to and from the United States. So if you translate that into actual orders, you're looking at something in the order of 2,800 new planes uh, with a book value of $329 billion. So it's a very, very lucrative market. So, in a classic case of counting eggs before they hatched, Boeing has projected it could sell China 6,330 planes worth $950 billion during the next 20 years. Um, and yes, yeah, single aisle, all these types of planes, la la la, they want to sell them and beat out their rival Airbus. Yes, there is a commercial aircraft corporation of China, um, and that's the state-owned manufacturer in China, and they've built, uh, or they're building a plane called the C919. And uh, it should really send fear into the hearts of Americans. They've spent 11 years and $6.5 billion developing the C919. And it's the answer to Boeing 737 and Airbus 320. Yeah, the C919 has a flight range of up to 3,451 miles, which means it can fly nonstop from Shanghai to Jakarta or from Paris to Montreal. And it can fit... 158 to 168 seats. So this hits right at the heart of its competitors. But yeah, it basically goes direct into the cold soul of the other two. The chief designer said they've turned to lightweight carbon composites in place of steel. And yet Boeing actually had difficulty bringing its first composite plane, the 787 Dreamliner, to market. But 
Yeah, the there's you know the Seeking Alpha mentions that this communist government plays by a different set of rules, and they're sort of using this as a springboard to develop a nationwide industry mm. involving more than two hundred companies, thirty six universities, and hundreds of thousands of personnel. So by just directing all these people in the same direction, mm. arguably you could call that very efficient. Well, I mean, if you if you've got state sponsorship in China, like you look at Tencent, are a perfect example of this. Yeah. So, so Tencent are the big gaming company in China, and if you want to launch a game in China, you've pretty much got to go through them. And so they've they've got basically the whole market cornered. Which you know, to us in our Western society, we say, well, that's horrible. You can't have a monopoly like that. But it's very lucrative for Tencent. It's very lucrative for the people associated with it, and it lets the Chinese government essentially build a whole bunch of infrastructure around that and control it as much as they can mm-hmm. because they're state-sponsored. So we've seen this in other industries. And Tencent are now one of the biggest, if not the biggest gaming companies in the world just through market share. You think this is insane? You can see why they have such a large number of oligarchs, not unlike other countries as well, but yeah. you know, as long as you're in with the crowd, yeah. you could be... F- fabulously wealthy beyond her dreams and the thing is as long as everyone accepts that and is aspiring towards that nothing's going to change you know everyone is happy to put up with things like the social credit system and you know mass surveillance if they think they've got a shot Mm. like if they're good enough at that social credit system maybe they'll have a shot at being the next oligarch Mm. and that seems to be the way that a lot of these people kind of stomach everything else that goes on is that they look up and they think maybe that can be me one day. Mm. So besides, I shouldn't be jaywalking anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Picture of the week: Tesla used a semi-semi-electric truck to uh, deliver electric cars. The sustainable future in one picture. Elon Musk tweeted the the image. It's of a semi truck carrying the Model S, the Model E, sorry, the Model S, the Model Three, the Model X, and the Model Y, and uh, taking them on a nice little journey. I wonder how far we are from. Cars driving themselves to their own dealership. Oh, I'm pretty sure that Elon said that by the end of this year, they would have full autonomous capability. Yeah. Um, minus regulatory and other sort of yeah. glitches here and there. I mean, what's a glitch amongst a few million drivers? <laughs> I need to pick this up. But seriously, that's really cool. Yeah. In the car vein still, are all new car, all new UK cars are going to have to have speed limiters by 2022 under EU plans. Now, Joe, I thought the UK were leaving the EU. I thought they were meant to have left last year. Now, look, now we, look, the French don't do anything until we tell them we're doing it. Same with the Germans. Uh, Now, um, the the UK are a complete mess as far as... Doing what's, what's going on? Like, why is I don't? Firstly, I'm not clued in enough to care. Uh, like, firstly, I don't care. Okay. Secondly, I'm the little bit that I am clued on is that we have somebody who supports Remain, uh, who historically supported Remain, negotiating for us to leave, which is against her own interest, mm. um, and then going through the gauntlet of everybody in the country hating her simultaneously mm. um, to negotiate this deal with. Um, a union that wants to make an example of you showing how bad it is if you leave. Mm. So And wants all your money too. And wants your money, yes. Yeah. Um, so to leave this totalitarian super state to join your own totalitarian state of your own and have your own totalitarian sovereignty doesn't really mean a lot to me. Um, but basically we've uh, postponed it while we have a cup of tea and think about mm. doing something. Isn't it amazing that 
the UK voted to decentralize themselves for once. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because the the problem is there's a lot of media stuff, and they say, "Oh, people voted because they hate immigrants or whatever it might be." Now, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people voted to leave the European Union because of immigration, for yeah. sure. Yeah, but um, overwhelmingly, there was a lot, there was actually a lot of people who wanted sovereignty over yeah. decisions. Yeah, that, that that was my understanding of it from here. Was that was it, from here. It was things like this that that I mean this. This is what it caught my eye because it said 2022. It said all your new UK's cars to have speed limits by 2022 under EU plans. And my understanding was the whole reason that Brexit happened was to stop this kind of stuff, to stop the EU saying, you've got to do this. Because everyone was saying, well, we didn't vote for the people that are making these decisions. Mm. They're not our government. Look, um, they can all get stuffed if you ask me. Um like all of them, whether they're outside of the EU or not, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it's just stupid. Anyway, all new U cars are going to have speed limiters by 2022 under EU plans. Now, correct, you may ask, why are we doing that? Aren't Britain leaving the European Union? Well, funnily enough, uh, we might be or we might not be. We will find out. Time can only tell. Mm. But... Um, Yes, uh, the EU, uh, the UK are still going to honour EU rules because we still can't get over the Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> well, anyway, the, the speed limiter device... Sorry, which, sorry, no, 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 it's, it's, sorry. it's fair enough. Not it really, is, sorry. It's fair enough. Okay. They're limiting the speed limits on cars in the UK and Europe um, to stop people exceeding the speed limit under sweeping changes to safety standards that the EU has provisionally agreed. So, yeah. So the device, which they're calling the Intelligent Speed Assistant, sounds very friendly, uses GPS data and sign recognition cameras to detect speed limits where the car is traveling and then will sound a warning and automatically slow the vehicle down if it's exceeding the limit. So you could make a prank by printing up a fake speed limit sign and putting them all around town. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can- and you'll also be tracked everywhere. Yeah, but yeah. that's that's for your own good. Yeah. Um, but drivers will be able to override the device simply by pushing hard on the accelerator, reassuring <laughs> some motion group. So this is what they do. You were chatting about this earlier. They say, "Look." We're still going to let you override it. You know, you're still going to have some control. Mm. And that's what they do with a lot of things, yeah. like income tax. You know, yeah. We're just putting it in temporarily. Yeah. If it's a wartime measure. Yeah. Or don't worry, you're still going to be able to access your favorite websites yeah. when we put in our... Censorship. I mean, yeah. filtering. Yeah. Filtering, not oh, censorship. Filtering. Yeah, filtering, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are way too cynical. Positive Jeez. selection algorithm. Yes. Yeah. For your... Happy website. Cyber, cyber yeah. bullying prevention yes. mechanism. Online happiness <laughs> enablement software. <laughs> Could you imagine that? You open a new tab to a negative news article. It's like, hey, Matt, I see you're reading about the war in Yemen. Redirecting you to butterflies. <laughs> now watch a puppy fall over. <laughs> and then you're like, hey, wait. Oh, puppy. I feel like that's going to be a Black Mirror episode. That's so good. Oh. I feel like we've just had a dark vision of the future. <laughs> but yeah, they're limiting the max speed of your car. Now, don't... But what gets me is that they're, they're saying, we'll limit the max speed of your car, but the way to override it is to push really hard on the accelerator. <laughs> so, like, you're not like... It's not like you're just calmly 
going a couple of kilometers over. Like when you override this thing, <laughs> especially if you're in, and most cars are pretty powerful these days, mm. you'll go from like doing the speed limit to like 30 k's over the speed limit in a couple of seconds. As much as I love to agree, we're since getting in one of those VW Golf things. Yeah. You, the the buttons that you can press to change the mode of the car yeah. define how sensitive that accelerator is. Right. So it actually means the car could have just purely accelerate without or without you actually needing to press anything. Yeah. So it's like you could actually just set it so that pressing it really hard is actually has very little effect on the car. Yeah, true. And it kind of sucks, but they're probably just going to weaken the ability of the driver to. They're just going to slowly phase it in until you have yeah. no power. Yeah. Wherever you're joining us from, absolute pleasure having you here. Thanks for sticking in. Thanks for thanks for listening. We bloody love you. Yeah, and why not drop into our Telegram channel and say good day? Why not? Why not? What, what else are you doing? I mean, are you driving a car? Maybe you're driving an automated car, and and, yeah. and your hands are free. If they and are, what excuse have you got then? Take your phone out, open up FOMO.show/telegram, hit enter while you're driving. Yeah. Install the app. Yep. So there's new uh, privacy and security section. We've got a few different bits to go through here. First, Linux distribution of the week, um, because we love Linux. This one's called SIGINT OS. Yeah, so this is kind of like a Kali Linux for telecommunications. Now, Kali Linux is the most well-known, I guess, hacking Distribution. So there's an operating system you can install on your computer called Kali, which is designed specifically for hacking things. Mm. So it's got all the hacking tools built in and all that sort of stuff for education and hacking your own Wi-Fi network and other such things. Yeah, so when Joe uh, moved to a new place and he didn't have internet, um, his neighbours may have noticed a significant spike in web traffic. And that was not at all related to the fact that he had Kali Linux on his laptop at the time. Yeah, I didn't even have Kali Linux on my laptop at the time. I didn't mm. even have a laptop. Mm. I also regret everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this, this distribution appears really well executed. It's built with uh, graphical user interfaces. It's easy to understand uh, a number of the apps. And interestingly, it, it gives you access to a whole bunch of uh, signal intelligence tools like an FM and GPS transmitter, a jammer, a GSM base station search tool, and an IMSI catch. Now, a GSM base station search tool means that if you want, you can search the nearby GSM towers and begin to pull information from a number of those towers. Wow. Because there's a whole bunch of information being beamed to those towers all the time, and a lot of it's mm. not encrypted. Hmm. So it's interesting that there's yeah there's a GPS transmitter there's a jammer as well which is quite kind of interesting so you could potentially um, yeah prevent other communications nearby if you had a probably a third party sort of transmitter device FM you could start a pirate radio station or you could just listen to classic FM wherever you are mm. um, yeah there's a bunch of really interesting looking tools in there which I haven't fully dived into but there's some basic ones like Wireshark where you can sniff like packets that are flying yep. past in the air and yep. um but yeah it's uh yeah they've also teased an lte sort of like 4g search and lte decoder which um yeah there's yeah some interesting stuff that's in the development some of it's a bit more locked away for now but yeah so if you're at all in this space and obviously check it out but even if you're not i mean it's it's it opened my eyes to just the amount of stuff that is 
available there if you can listen for it. Like we kind of think that our phone data is protected, our internet data is protected, our radio data is pr- like what all the stuff we're sending via the airwaves is protected. But just using this laptop and so this this distribution and a laptop, you can pick up a whole bunch of these signals and get some really quite interesting information from them just from simply sitting in your room with a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. So check it out. That is Sigint OS. Hack of the week. Hackers hijacked Asus software updates to install backdoors on thousands of computers. So yeah, the massive tech laptop giant slash they make a bunch of other things. They're believed to have pushed this malware to hundreds of thousands of customers through its trusted automatic software update tool after attackers compromised the company's server and used it to push the malware to machines. Yeah, so Kaspersky, Kaspersky Lab, which is an um, a anti-malware, antivirus company, says that Asus uh, was unwittingly uh, making users install a malicious backdoor on thousands of their computers last year and the malicious file was signed with a legitimate Asus digital certificate, and it was actually two different certificates uh, to make it appear authentic. And to at the time of writing, and I think still now, at least one of those certificates hasn't even been taken down yet. Um, mm. So Asus have been in the news before. I think recently they had a big issue with one of their modems as well. Um, mm. There was a big vulnerability found in that. So. It's not a good look. Um, It was only uh, affecting Windows systems. So, Mm -hmm. if you you love freedom, then you wouldn't have been affected. But, um, (laughs) sorry, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. It it was only affecting Windows systems. So, if you're not on Windows, then you don't need to worry. But if you were on Windows and you do use any kind of ASUS software, then I just uh, look this up and check that, you haven't been affected, and if you have, there are some measures that you can take and some patches you can apply. So I'm going to try and cover the next piece without being negative. Um, so the necessity of this is if you like being able to access information, get a VPN. Um, so because of a horrific event that happened in, um, in New Zealand the other week, um, the internet service providers in Australia and New Zealand started. Um, they started uh, filtering and protecting users from accessing certain news sites, including Zero Hedge, which we cover frequently, Archive.is, which is a um, which keeps sort of backups of websites, um, LiveLeak, which is a live streaming website, Vote, which is like a I think that's a social sort of network. Mm. Um, and uh, there was what was the other one? Bits? Oh no, no, no! Bitshoot, which mm. is like a YouTube alternative. Yep. So um, a bunch of these websites were blocked in Australia and New Zealand, which was um, I was actually outside work at the time, and um, yeah, I just opened up. Oh, I just went to zerohedge.com, and it was like, ah, oh, DNS resolution not found. Now it's a very basic blocking mechanism, yep. but essentially, um, regardless of why they may have wanted to block this. It's up to you whether you think that was a good thing or not. But if you ever want to be able to access blocked websites, you probably want to think about getting a VPN. Yeah, and, and look, I guess the uh, look the there were there are events that happened in New Zealand, and they were very tragic. And um, you know, I think most people are in agreement that circulating the the content that came out of that uh, event is in pretty poor taste, um, and it's it's probably you know glorifying it a little bit, but. Um, the the 
difficulty with the measures that were taken by these companies is that they were blanket blockages. It wasn't just like a blockage of the one web address on the site that was showing the video mm-hmm. in question. Mm-hmm. It was a complete blockage of the entire site. And some of the sites didn't even show the footage. That was the worst part, you know. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Zero Hedge never even put the footage up. So, um, And they, they have a lot of very, very good news which we use on this sh- show quite a lot. Either way, I think the only point is forget about any of the event or why. It's just like if you want to access stuff, get a VPN, yep. get private internet access or get... Morvad. M- M- Morvad. It's, um, it's that one privacy guy's most recommended VPN. Cool. Yeah. You can pay with Bitcoin. Nice. No personal details at all. Ooh. Don't mean an email. You just Stop. get an account number. Sounds good. And you can use WireGuard with it too. So. M-U-L-L-V-A-D.net. Yep. No one who might enjoy this, please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. You can find us on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Um, thank you so much for joining us. If you like this show, feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or leave us a rating via your podcast app of choice. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. We never tweet. And on Facebook, we never post. (laughs) 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 You can can join us on MySpace. (laughs) It's probably what our, you know, future... Uh, police state is going to be policed by. Well, they just drive up behind you and just pick your car up <laughs> with their suction cup, <laughs> and you're in a you're in a they car which up. has like a they convertible, and yeah. it just pulls. They pick you up with the suction cup, <laughs> citizen. <laughs> Stop right there, criminal. <laughs> um, hang on, I'm just going to go uh, Facebook jobs. Yep. Um, Okay, cool. I've applied. Um, we'll help you. Got. We'll help you across what's going on. We'll help you stay across what's going on. Yeah, I feel like we we descend into cynicism. I think like we start off really positive, and then over time, like you get to the end of the show, and you just, some of our listeners probably just like <laughs> hung himself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I guess this is it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> another pedestrian hit by a FOMO show listener. Sources say they were at one hour 15 in the podcast. <laughs> Traditionally the most depressing time of the recording. Do you ever find that like, do you ever, you know when people are like, oh, no, I'm not an alcoholic. And then someone's just like, so you've just drank three bottles of whiskey. You know when they get like, they do the hoarders TV shows and they're like, okay, so... 
<laughs> so, so like instead of now, it's like the, what they do with people who eat loads of food. Yeah, and they're like, ah. Oh, Let's just, what we're going to do is we're going to put in front of you all the food that you eat in a week. <laughs> like if I printed all those tabs out, like you'd be buried. <laughs> right, anyway, sorry. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm attacking you. I do need to clean it up. I'm attacking you. I do need to clean it up. Tougher penalties to keep Australian safe on. The Morrison government will introduce a tougher penalties to protect Australians and more yeah, privacy. Yeah. 